This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. Today we are starting a new series, and uh, there's if you're on the city, there's a little clip that we put on there. It's a little YouTube clip of me in my office talking about this series. It's, uh, I mean, really, it's a, it's a video that's gone viral. Four people have seen that, and uh, <laughs> one liked it. So it is really taking the nation by storm. And uh, so I know you'll, you'll want to be a part of that. You don't want to miss the video that everybody's talking about at work tomorrow. So if you go in the city, there's a video where I'm explaining this whole series. And I'm just trusting that a lot of people saw that because I'm not going to go through all of that for sake of time. But just to tell you that, that we're calling the series Prepare for the Square. So in cl- case you're new, here's what that means. Is that our church several years ago was donated a piece of land in, uh, in Frisco Square, the heart of our city, the heart of this region in some ways with the stadium and all over there. And so um, we are going to be uh, building over there and moving over there. And uh, we are going to, we've talked about it for a few years and we're really going to make a stab at it, a serious, we're going to by faith make a serious go of it and uh, we'll see what happens. But um, so we began to think about what would it be like to be gathering there, and what is the responsibility of a church gathering in kind of a high-profile uh, location like that, and what is the opportunity for a people that are gathered there? So as we begin to think about the opportunity and the responsibility of that gift from the Lord, we began to say, okay, let's, let's see what kind of a church would we want to be there, and let's back that up and say, okay, today... What kind of church should we be based on what the scripture teaches, not on the location of a building, but based on that opportunity, it began to make us think, oh yeah, what should we be like as a people and as a church? And that drove us into the scripture. And then we began to say, okay, well, let's don't be that church then. The kind of church you are is not based on where you meet. Uh, The kind of church you are is based on what God is doing in your midst and how you're applying the scripture. So let's think about that opportunity, that responsibility. Let's wheel it back to today and let's say, what is God saying to us that we want to be conformed? to his uh, image, to his person, to the scripture today. And so we're talking about prepare for the square. What kind of folks do we want to be today? Do we believe that God is calling us to be as we prepare to build and relocate over there? So because of that, we're going to be talking about mission. So today and next week, I'm talking about the mission of the church. And then I'll talk specifically about preparing for the square after that for the next four weeks. So I've got some books. We've got some books that are out on the resource center. Every new, every new, um, Series We have book recommendations, so we have them for you. Um, And uh, the first one is this book by Ray Ortland. It's called Three Priorities for a Strong Local Church. I'm going to be speaking on kind of the idea of this book next week out of a passage um, of Scripture. And uh, so this is a very simple read. Uh, It was written in 1988. You may know the name Ray Ortland, but that's Ray Ortland, this guy's son, who's currently a uh, kind of a well-known pastor. But this is the dad, and he wrote this in, in 88. It's an excellent book. Uh, that we'd really recommend. It gives a vision for what does it mean to be a follower of the Lord and what does it mean for us to do that together as a church. The second one is called, What is the Mission of the Church? Making Sense of Social Justice, Shalom, and the Great Commission by Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert. They are trying to cut through all of the conversation today about what is the church supposed to be doing? uh, What is the social activity and ministry of the church? What is church planting? How does that fit in? What, What are we really called to do? So they hone in, I think, Uh, as well as anything I've ever read. I've never read anything that I thought was clearer than this on what is the mission of the church. It's a little bit more involved read than this, but anybody here could handle it. You are bright folk. And uh, then this one is The Gospel Commission, Recovering God's Strategy for Making Disciples by Michael Horton. It's a tad bit more theological, but it's still not uh, I mean, there's, it's a foot book with footnotes. There's more footnotes and stuff, but it's still a readable book. So these are three books that we'll have out there that we'd really recommend. If you want to know what are, this is stuff we've been reading as a, a pastoral team, what are we learning about mission and defining that? So let's, uh, if you go put your Bible to Matthew 28 and I'm going to pray and, uh, then we will jump in. Lord, we come before you today and we just confess at the outset that we are really not interested in creating our own mission and our own plan. 
we are interested in submitting ourselves to you and following you and being used by you in your glorious plan, which will bear fruit. Lord, you are building your church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And so we want to be aligned with you. And I pray that you would speak to us today by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would encourage us, that you would help every one of us to have a vision for our part in your mission. And uh, that you would uh, just draw our attention to you, to what you've done, to who you are, to what you teach. And I pray that you would help us be unified as a church, that we would be one in you. And that means one in your mission. And so uh, help us today. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit now and give me clarity of mind and give me physical strength. And Lord, give us all ears to hear what your scripture is saying to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what do you think of when we talk about mission? Um, Maybe you think about a mission statement. That's common in our culture, a mission statement. Maybe where you work, there's a mission statement. Uh, do you, do you know the mission statement of, I'm, I'm not asking, please don't blurt it out, but do you know the mission statement of where you work? For instance, most companies have a, have a mission statement. Um, is it good? If you can recite it to us, it's probably decent. I've only asked one person at the break if he knew the mission statement of where he worked. It's a big company. He didn't know it, uh, but he couldn't pull it up immediately. So a lot of us probably don't know. You knew at orientation when you were a new employee, but maybe you don't know now. So do you have a mission statement? Um, a lot of mission statements are, uh, they sound exactly the same, don't they? You just take certain buzzwords that sound really inspiring and thoughtful and you put them together. As a matter of fact, um, the comic uh, Dilbert a number of years ago put together a mission statement generator. And uh, it's not online anymore, but there's several of them like this, where they took just a lot of words that sound like they came from corporate mission statements, certain nouns, certain adjectives, certain adverbs, and then they list them all and you press generate and it spits out a mission statement for you. And so so I went there, not looking for a mission statement for our church. We were a little more thoughtful than that. You'd, you'll be glad to know. But we looked at some of the corporate mission statements, or I did. I just pressed generate, and these are the, some of the first three that it spit out, which just shows us kind of uh, some of the uh, silliness of just putting buzzwords together for a purpose. Here's what it said. Here's the first one I read. We dramatically revolutionize outcome-driven deliverables to stay pertinent in tomorrow's world. I mean, doesn't that sound like almost every mission statement you've ever read? And like, what are you doing? That could be any company. I don't care who you work for. That could be your statement right there. I press generate again, and it said, our mission is to continue to authoritatively foster timely infrastructures as well as synergistically pursue corporate catalysts for change while encouraging personal employee growth. I mean, if you've got synergies or if you've got synergistically, if you've got that in there and you've got employee growth, man, toss in an infrastructure and catalyst and we're home right there. We're doing something. I don't know what we're doing, but we're doing something. Here's the last one. The customer can count on us to professionally leverage existing scalable products while continuing to efficiently revolutionize professional sources while maintaining 100% customer satisfaction. We're leveraging scalable stuff and whatever that means, I, I mean... I'm ready to wake up at Monday morning early and get to work for that. So a lot of times mission, we talk about mission, we, we concoct these mission statements that are sort of elaborate and sort of confusing. I think when we look at the mission of the church and we start to think about the mission of the church, I, I think it'd be better just to think a couple of things. What does the Bible teach us about mission for the church? And and where is it simply expressed? I don't know about you, but I don't even know what all those words mean. I can't remember them. If you laminate any of that and put it up, you know how you laminate that and stick it up? You just don't remember that. So is there a place of scripture we could go where it's simple, it's clear, it's focused, it's from Jesus, uh, and, it, and, it is, and it is empowering for the mission of the church? Well, I think Matthew 28 is a location for that. Now, we might want to start, before we read this, and I'm going to say this is mission for the church, we might want to start with saying, what is a mission? You know, we have a mission statement, but what is a mission? Did you know the noun mission never appears in the Bible? So if you, like, go to the concordance and look up mission statement, it's not in the Bible. The word, the noun mission's not even found. Now, the verb, mission comes from a verb, which means to send, 
That word does occur in the New Testament frequently in the Gospel of John as we studied. So the word mission has to do with being sent. So now we can sort of get on to something. If we were to say, what, what, if, there's, if we're sent, then there has to be a sender. So who's the sender? Jesus. If Jesus sends us, what tasks does he send us to accomplish? That's our mission. And if we start thinking of mission that way, then I think the several commissions that Jesus gives, and in particular, the one at the conclusion of Matthew, really is a good place to focus us on what is our mission. So we want to read this, and we want to catalytically leverage every opportunity of these verses, okay? Just kidding. Okay, here we go. Here's what Jesus teaches and communicates as the Great Commission to his, to his church. twenty-eight sixteen. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Great Commission is what this is commonly known as, and the setting of it is so important because Jesus is meeting his disciples uh, in Galilee just after the resurrection. He was resurrected. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. He was resurrected after three days, and then he made an appearance. He appeared to some women, and in verse uh, 10, he told them, Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So this is the resurrected Jesus. We can't overemphasize the context of this. Jesus has just done the saving work. The entire Bible, from the fall, from the fall of man in Genesis 3, the entire Bible has looked forward to Jesus and what would he would do. And he has now come and he has accomplished the saving work. He has died as a sacrifice for our sins, so there will never again be a need for any sacrifice. He has been raised to defeat the power of sin, the power of death, the power of the devil. He has crushed the serpent's head. And he has come out of the grave. He's gotten up out of the grave. And he is in a resurrection body. And he is now, having accomplished his work, he is now handing the mission. He is now tasking the disciples with something to do. He is sending them with a purpose. So this isn't just like a guy up at the sort of corporate retreat saying, here's what we're about. Here's our goal for the next year. Here's kind of our vision statement. And here's our strategy. And here's our value statement. This is the resurrected Lord. And he is saying, I I have done the work of salvation. And he is then handing to his disciples this responsibility and is sending them. And I want to look at the three things that he does beginning in verse 18. He, 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 there's three things about the mission that I think uh, kind of emerge here as we read it. The first is the authority for the mission. The authority for the mission. See, the reality is we can think great commission and immediately go to what am I supposed to do? So a mission statement, what is my part? What do I do? How do what are we supposed to accomplish? What are, what, is, what is my responsibility? How do I play a part? How do I contribute to the whole? We can begin to immediately think that. Well, that's not, he doesn't start with what we do. Michael Horton, in the book that I held up here on the Great Commission, Michael Horton said, before there is a Great Commission, there is a great announcement. And here's the great announcement. Verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus communicating, I have authority over everyone and everything. His whole ministry, he demonstrated authority. He demonstrates authority over demons. He casts demons out of people. He demonstrates authority uh, over the law. He interprets the law to say it points to him and that he fulfills it. He demonstrates authority over death. He raises some dead people out of their grave and brings them to life in his ministry. He demonstrates authority over nature. He stands up in a storm and says, peace, be still. And the elements of the storm, the wind and the waves and the rain, they stop. So he's been demonstrating to his disciples authority. They've seen his authority. Now he's saying this. It's not just storms and dead people. All of heaven and all of earth is under my authority. 
every molecule that exists anywhere is under the authority of the resurrected Christ. He rules and he reigns. He is exalted by virtue of his resurrection and very shortly after that, his exaltation. See, we we can become familiar with this kind of an idea, but this is earth shattering to the guys that were standing there. And this Jesus who we walked with, who we, who taught us, who we laughed with and ate with, he's defeated, he's defeated the enemy and death and sin, and he rules over all. He's Lord of the universe. And this is really a key to applying the mission. It's, it's foundational that we understand the authority of Jesus. He has jurisdiction over all creation, and he sends us on a mission. So what difference does it make that Jesus has all authority? Well, everything. It makes all the difference that we're not sent out in our strength to accomplish something. We're not sent out in the name of Grace Church to accomplish something. We're not sent out with our resources, our knowledge, our experience to accomplish something. We're sent out in the authority of the one who rules over everyone and everything. We are sent in his name. We are commissioned by him with the promise that the mission will be accomplished. It's a certain mission. The the Lord Jesus says, I am building my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. It is a certain mission. It will be fruitful. He is already victorious. We're not on a mission wondering who wins. We're not on a mission wondering what's going to happen for God and for Jesus. Is everything going to be okay? No, he's already won. He got out of the grave. He's at the right hand of the Father. He has won. And so we are announcing his victory. We are communicating that Jesus is Lord and that he is saving, that he is a loving God who died for our sins and is giving new life. So this isn't just like a preamble or a, a, an obligatory introductory statement. No, all authority is Jesus's. That's the basis for our mission. We dare not go anywhere or do anything unaware that Jesus is in charge. Jesus is saving people. We're not. Jesus is building churches. We're not. He's ultimately the one who is doing that. So it's glorious, the authority of the mission. So when we participate in the Great Commission, we're not to do so timidly, fearfully, anxiously, questioning whether there'll be any fruit or anything good will happen. Now, we're not to do it obnoxiously, absolutely, arrogantly, self-righteously, no. But we are to go confident, not in us, but in Jesus who has authority and in the message, the good news of the gospel, which has the power to save people. So that's the authority of the mission. Second is the work of the mission. Now, in this sentence, Jesus gives a commandment, an imperative, a a verb that is an imperative, and he surrounds it with three participles. Uh, They are go or going. Or as you go, that's a, it's a participle. Another participle is baptizing. Another participle is teaching, verse 20, them to observe all that I've commanded you. But the one verb, the one imperative in the passage is make disciples. So it's going or as you go, make disciples. That's the focus command. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. So the heart of this verse or this commission is the commandment to make disciples. The participles, in essence, speak about how we do that. Now, it's translated as an imperative in mind. The go is not going. It's translated go. Um, it's sort of coordinate with the, uh, with the making disciples, but the going is important. There has, to be, there has to be movement. They have to go to someone to reach them with the gospel, but it's still, uh, it's still not the heart of the command. Going, baptizing, teaching are how we make disciples. We make disciples as we go, as we baptize, as we teach. Now, here's why this is significant. If we take one of the participles and make that the heart of the commission, we get a skewed commission. And I think our mission gets out of kilter. Here's how that can work. If we say go is, 
if we ignore the command to make disciples and we say go is the emphasis, then here's what happens. The mission of the church tends to be thought of as something that happens elsewhere, usually something that happens in a foreign land. So foreign missions becomes the mission. We could say it this way. Missions is the mission. If go is the primary command, if that is the heart, if that's the heart of the command, then what happens is we will seek to think about a change of location, a different zip code, usually a different nation altogether as the heart of the great commission. And sometimes to the detriment of bearing fruit where we currently are. So though we may not be making disciples where we currently are, we think the command, the imperative, the force is though we're not doing it here to get somewhere else where we can do it. Missions as mission, that is skewed. If we take the second Um, participle, baptizing, and make that the heart of the mission, then the primary mission is to reach unbelievers. So baptizing implies that you go, that's the first one, and that you share the gospel, you preach the gospel, and that you baptize people. So in this one, evangelism is the mission. And it could be wherever you are. But evangelism becomes the mission. So what is the purpose of the church? It is baptizing. That is, it is to introduce people to Jesus And once they meet him, (coughs) they're baptized, which represents uh, their relationship with him. So the first participle would be missions is the mission. The second one would be evangelism is the mission. If we take the third participle, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, if we say that's the mission, then this is what happens. We end up focusing on helping Christians mature. So the mission becomes taking those who already know Jesus and helping them teaching them, that's what he says, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, (coughs) helping them mature and grow. We could call that sanctification or discipleship growth in the Lord. For some people, when you say discipleship, that's what they think, growing in the Lord. What's making disciples? It's help people grow in the Lord. So if we take any of those, we get missions as the mission, we get evangelism as the mission, Or we get sanctification or growth and holiness is the mission. And the reality, those aren't the focal point. The focal point is making disciples. That's the mission is to make disciples. How do you make disciples? You go. How do you make disciples? We share and then baptize those who believe in Christ. How do we make disciples? Then we then take those who have received Jesus and we help them mature in Jesus. It's not one of those that's the focus. It's all of those. That's what we're called to. (laughs) We're called to make disciples by going, implicitly preaching or sharing the gospel, then baptizing, and then teaching them to obey all that Jesus taught us, which ultimately would be all of the scripture, right? Teaching people the scripture. That's the actual command. Make disciples. Have you ever heard of an elevator speech or an elevator pitch? When somebody says that, they mean an elevator pitch might be if you're a sales guy, saleswoman, salesperson, um, then you have to know your product and your pitch so well that you could summarize it, that if you just had an elevator ride with somebody, you could tell them your whole sales pitch right there and be brief. You ever heard of that? Or maybe if you're a leader and you are on a uh, thank you. Thank you, Michael. And you, uh, if you're a leader and you are, um, you are in an elevator, you could say, you could define the mission of your organization in the time that it would take to go from one floor to another on an elevator. So your elevator pitch, your elevator speech, that means you've got to have a concise definition of what you're about, unlike the mission statements I previously read. Elevator speech. Well, here's the elevator speech for the mission of the church, and I'm going to give you less than an elevator speech. An elevator speech is how long does it take from the time the doors shut until they open as we ride however many floors together. I'm going to give you something that's so compact that it's the elevator exit speech. It's from the time it says ding and the doors open and you walk out the door. That moment, you can give the mission of the church. Here it is. The mission of the church is two words. Make disciples. Now, we might want to say more. We might want to say for the glory of God, with the gospel, in the power of the spirit, according to the scripture, in, within the community of the church, 
We might want to say all that kind of stuff, but the bottom line is it is make disciples. That's what he says here. He gives one command, make disciples. The resurrected Lord says, all authority is given to me. I rule over everything and everyone. So here's what you need to give your life to making disciples. How are we going to do that? Well, we're going to go. How are we going to do that? We're going to implicitly preach or share and then baptize. How are we going to do that? Then we're going to help those who respond to Jesus grow. That is the elevator speech, so to speak. Now, if the mission of the church is to make disciples, here's a really important question. What's a disciple, right? You'd want to know that. Make disciples. What is a disciple? We often hear this, and this is true. A disciple is a learner or a disciple is a student, that's true. The word has that, the word disciple has that in view, but it's not the kind of learner or student that we might think of. I mean, when I think learner or student, I think someone in a lecture hall and you're either in my generation, you're writing notes in the current student's generation, you're typing them on a la- uh, maybe a laptop or, or uh, an iPad or something, uh, but you are uh, getting You're taking notes and listening to a lecture of some sort, and that is being a student. That's being a learner. In Jesus' day, there's a little bit more to it than that. And uh, if you wanted to learn in his culture, you didn't just sign up for a school necessarily, but you signed up with a rabbi. You signed up with a teacher. So Jesus is not doing something unusual. There were other people who had disciples. As a matter of fact, John the Baptist had disciples. And so you would follow a rabbi, you would learn from him, um, he would be your master, and you're doing more than just taking notes. You are a follower of this teacher. A disciple of Jesus wasn't a guy merely in a classroom with a notepad, though somebody may have been writing something down, I don't know. But it wasn't, that was not what it meant to be a student of the master a disciple of the master Jesus. It meant that you were an adherent to Jesus. You were a follower of Jesus. You see this in the guys that he works with, what we call the disciples. You were submitted to Jesus. You were following him. You were not just a learner who was sort of studying his ideas. You were a follower who was committed your life to him. It sometimes was even this metaphor was used. You would yoke yourself as a disciple. You would yoke yourself to a teacher. And a yoke is a wooden piece. that you, If you had a couple of ox, the oxen that were working together, you put the, the wooden bar over them and yoke them together so they work together. Jesus says, hey, come and follow. If you follow me, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does he mean? Well, he means that he does the work. He, we're along with him. He does the work. He's the one who died for our sins and is resurrected. He's the one who is, who's really doing the work. We're yoked to him. We're united to him. We're saved because of what he did for us. So you're attaching yourself. You are an adherent to the teacher. So do you see? It's very personal. It's not like I, I got a systematic theology book and read it. It's not like I went to a class and heard a guy. It's like personally, as a disciple to the master, you are a student who is following and attaching yourself to Jesus. Here's why this is important. Making disciples means that we are, by God's grace, communicating the gospel to those who don't know him. Once someone knows him, we are then connecting people to Christ. Making disciples is connecting them personally to Christ. When he says make disciples, he is not saying that they are to create followers of themselves. They're not to create followers themselves. Here's what we say sometimes. Um, I'm discipling Joe over here. Or we say, uh, maybe a lady says, back when I was in college, she discipled me. Now, I'm not here to be the word police. We don't really do word police here. We have, you know, there's breadth and grace and understanding. We're not trying to parse everybody's speech. But having said that, disciple is not a verb in the New Testament. You don't disciple someone as if you're making them a disciple of yourself, as if they are following you. The verb here is making disciples. We make disciples of Jesus, 
We help people follow Jesus. We tell people about the good news of Jesus. And then when they believe, we baptize them, not in our name, but in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then we teach them to observe all that we do. No, we teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, says Jesus. So then we help them follow in the life of Christ united to him. We're not making disciples of ourselves. We're making disciples of Jesus. But now doesn't Paul say, follow me? As I follow the Lord. Few points here. That's Paul saying that. Two, Paul is writing the Bible, and so at least with the things he's writing, you do follow those because they are the very word of Christ by the Spirit. And three, he didn't ultimately say, "Look to me and follow me." He said, "Follow me." As I follow the Lord, I think it's best to think of that as not look to Paul's not saying humanly look to me. He's saying, look through me. That's what we say to people. We don't say, look to me. We say, look through me. If you're a new believer and less experienced, I'm a sinner like you, but look through me to Christ. Follow me as I follow the Lord. I can talk about some of the things I've learned and how I'm trying to apply the scripture in my life. And as that points you to Christ, you can follow that. But we're not building disciples of ourselves, but of Christ. This, uh, this summer, we just completed yesterday, I took two groups of men. Uh, we had what we called the discipleship group. Uh, and I was teaching them how to be a disciple of me. No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't doing that. We were learning how to follow Jesus together. And we went through this book. It's called The Masculine Mandate. And at the end, it's a great book. If you're a man, I would really recommend reading this book. But at the end of it, what he does is he gives this example of being a personal disciple of Jesus Christ, what I'm talking about right here. And this is what Rick Phillips, the author, says. He says, a number of years ago, when I was still teaching at a college, some leaders from a well-known quasi-Christian cult came to see me. This is a group that demands to take over every aspect of your life. They made the statement that each Christian is to be a disciple. Although their definition of a Christian is fundamentally flawed, for the sake of discussion, I was willing to agree with this statement. Then they asked me if I was being personally discipled. To their surprise, I answered that I was. When they inquired as to who was discipling me, no doubt intending to express their disapproval, my answer was not what they expected. Quote, I am being discipled by Jesus of Nazareth, I replied. But he is dead and no longer here, they demanded. That's a very bad answer. That is not, you're losing theological points when you say Jesus is dead and no longer here. So they were off on that. He's alive. He says, that is where you were wrong. He lives and ministers to his believers through the Holy Spirit. As a true believer in Jesus, I'm a personal disciple to him now, no less than Peter, John, and the others were his disciples when he walked upon the earth. For it is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that every Christian today truly is a personal disciple of Jesus. Not only is our discipleship not inferior to that of those who walked with him on earth, it is better. This is what Jesus said in his meeting with the disciples on the evening of his arrest. Quote, I tell you the truth, Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go, uh, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, John 16:7. His point is simply that we are following Jesus Christ and that we have it better than the original guys walking around with him because the spirit is in us teaching us as we read his scripture and enabling us to personally follow him. Now, I realize there's a lot of things I didn't just say there. I'm not saying we don't need people. I'm not saying we don't need teachers. I'm teaching right now, by the way. I'm not saying we don't need a church. I happen to be a member of one. I'm not saying that we don't need any of these things. But what I am saying is that to make disciples means that we introduce people to Christ and that we, as we help them to grow, we are seeking to facilitate their following Jesus, their adherence to Jesus, their embrace and follow and love for Jesus. So that's what a disciple is. And that is something about making disciples. Now, not only this, but uh, not only is disciple a noun and not a verb, it is almost always plural in the, in the New Testament. So sometimes John will say, for instance, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's singular, he's referring to himself. 
Uh, it's kind of code word for he likes me best or something. I don't know. But he, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. That's not really what he means. But there is that, that way of sort of referring to himself in the third person. But most of the time, it is the disciples. Have you ever thought about that? The church is, well, Jesus had disciples. And the church is the community of disciples. There's a lot of images of the church. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the family. We're brothers and sisters under the Father. But it's also the gathering, the community, the, the community of disciples. As a matter of fact, in, in the book of Acts, we see this a number of times where disciples are mentioned. In Acts 6, it says the disciples were increasing in number. Means the church is a way to say the church was growing, except it said the disciples were increasing in number. In Acts 11, Barnabas and Saul are in Antioch, and it says, For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. The first time the word Christian is used, evidently, is in Antioch, and it says the, the disciples were called Christians. Prior to that, they were the disciples. Not just the 11 or the 12, but everybody. Everyone who followed Jesus was a disciple. So the disciples were called Christians. Here's an important point. Disciple equals Christian. Disciple is not a certain kind of Christian. Disciple isn't an advanced Christian. Disciple isn't a mature Christian, a leader Christian, a serious Christian. No, a disciple is a Christian, someone who has turned from their sin, has received the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ by believing that Christ died and rose for us, believing in him as our substitute, as our savior. So that is a disciple. We sometimes think of disciple as more of an advanced kind of a person, more of a serious. So like we have two kinds of Christians. There's the Christian over here who believe, says they believe, doesn't really live for the Lord, doesn't really participate um, in, in the life of a church, doesn't really share their faith, pray to prayer at third grade, at vacation Bible school, ask Jesus into their heart. So they're Christian. They just doesn't happen to show up anywhere in their life. That's one kind of Christian. And then the other kind of Christian is a serious Christian. They're like going to Bible study and sharing their faith and praying. And they're, they're like a serious, they're in a group with people called the discipleship group and they're growing. And this is serious. No, there's one kind of Christian. It's called the disciple. This person probably is not a Christian. This person is, well, that's just a Christian. Someone who believes in Jesus and has submitted themselves to his lordship and is adhering or is it attached to him by faith. And he holds on to us and then joins in a community so that the community of disciples is called the church. That is, the church is literally those who are called out. The called out ones are those who are called out of the world to follow Jesus. He sends us back into the world to represent him as his disciples. And when we gather, we are the church, the community of disciples. So if the command is to make disciples, that's a little bit about what a disciple is. Um, it's a noun, it's a plural, it's a person who's connected and following and believing in Jesus Christ. So how do we make disciples? Because that's the command, make disciples. Well, he doesn't really say right here, but I think we can, uh, the rest of the scripture certainly says plenty about this, but I think we can uh, assume some things fairly from this very passage. He's ultimately saying to them, make, uh, by God's grace, make other people who are like you. He's saying to the disciples, you believe in Jesus, you're following Jesus, now go out there, go to the nations, and tell others about Christ so that they become what you are, a follower of Christ, so that you go is what he is saying. So that's, that's part of it. How do we make disciples? Well, in the first place, we go. He says, go to the nations. Where's that? Right here, we're the nations. I don't know if you know that. It, Jerusalem is the center here when he's saying this. Jews are the center. The nations are the Gentiles. We are the nations. And I'm really thankful that these guys obeyed, and somebody after them obeyed, and somebody after them obeyed, and somebody down the line told you about Christ and told me about Christ so that we're believers. So we are the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, the ends of the earth. We tend to think the bullseye is America. We're myopic. We think everything starts here, and certainly everything starts in the church here. Well, that's not true. The church didn't start here. We're the ends of the earth. We're the nations. Somebody came to us. 
Now we've received Christ, and we're able to go to the nations. We're called to send. We're called to go to the nations as well. So it involves going. It involves communicating the gospel as we go. Most of us, most of us are called as we go to wherever he has placed us. So going means across the street. Some of us are called and gifted to go across the world. Uh, Many of us can go across the world on a short-term basis, but some of us are called to go to a different culture to take the gospel to those who may have far less than we do, nations that have far less of the gospel witness than we do, to go and to take the gospel to them. And we're going to talk about that before the series is over and have a testimony along those lines. Um, But we are to go either across the street Or when you think about making disciples in your family, go like into the living room or to the kitchen table and open your Bible or wherever you're going that you're making disciples across the street, across the cubicle, um, wherever it is and share the gospel. Tell about this good news of Jesus. Tell about this wonderful good news of Jesus, what he has done. And then for those who believe they are baptized and then once they are a Christian, then we together help each other obey all that he's taught us to do, to follow him. That's what making disciples is. Sometimes we think making disciples is just making new disciples. It's just evangelism. But what about the teaching part? Sometimes we think making new disciples is just three people sitting around a table with their notebooks open at Starbucks. That's a discipleship group. Well, sure, that's part of discipleship. That's part of it, but that's not the whole thing. That's not the, what about the going part? What about the sharing part? What about the evangelizing? What about the baptizing part? What about the making of disciples besides just the three of us in our discipleship group together? What about that? There's other places. Really, when you think about it, if the call is to make disciples as a church, everything we do should be tied to making disciples. Somehow, if we say, what are we doing and why are we doing it? Why are we calling people to be involved? Why are we writing checks to fund it? Why are we getting together to do it? Why are we studying and learning to grow? It's to make disciples everywhere. And some of our discipleship and some of our disciple making has to do with going. Sometimes it's going and grabbing someone and bringing them. That's what Andrew does. He goes and gets his brother and then brings his brother to Jesus. So sometimes it's going, loving, grabbing my friend, not literally, but bringing my friend to, uh, to the bridge or to here on Sunday morning. Or going with them and sharing my testimony or whatever, whatever it might be. So all that we are doing, some is going, some is evangelism, some is baptizing. We're going to baptize next month. And on October 7th, we'll have a class that you can come to. If you are a believer in Jesus and you've never been baptized, what a great opportunity you have. Because that's part of being a disciple. What is the disciple? How do we make disciples? Well, you've got to get baptized. It's a sign that I'm following the Lord and he meets me in a powerful way in that sacrament. But it's, it's a public testimony that I am now adhering to Christ because he's reached out and saved me. I mean, he's holding the adherence. He's sticking to me, but I'm following him. It's a statement. I'm a disciple. How do we show we're a disciple? We publicly give testimony and are baptized. Isn't that wonderful? So we'll be doing that next, next month. You can be uh, baptized uh, then. And all that we do is helping one another go together. I don't know if you've thought about this, but community group is about making disciples. Now, again, I thought there had to be one discipler and two disciplees, and we're together there going through, filling in the blanks in the discipleship book. I did that. I'm for that. I'm not mocking that. I'm just saying that's a very small part of it. If a disciple is a follower of Christ, then everything we do should be promoting the following of Christ. So when we come to community group, I want to be thinking, okay, I'm here. I'm not saying I always do, but I want to be thinking, okay, I'm here to make disciples. Maybe there's someone here who doesn't even know the Lord and we're going to help reach out and they're going to be a new disciple. Or maybe they're a brand new Christian, or maybe they're way more mature than I am, whatever. I'm going to come and I want to help make disciples. I want to help others follow Christ. And we want to do that together. So sometimes it means that we put our arm around each other 
and we walk together. Let's follow Jesus together. Let's pray for the impediments that we're facing, the temptations, the the failures. Let's look at Christ and see how glorious and wonderful he is. And let's celebrate who he is and what he's done. And let's follow him in the power of the gospel. Let's come together and recognize where God's already at work in us. Let's come together and see what he's already doing. And let's celebrate that and remind each other of who he is and what he's done. And let's walk together. Sometimes we need to get behind someone who's discouraged and kind of prop them up and push them along. I'm not talking about being harsh and I'm not talking about that, but, uh, but we just sort of push them along. Hey, we're behind you. We got you. We're looking, you just look ahead. Let's look to Christ and his word. And we're here to push you along. Sometimes I have to pull somebody a little bit. Come on now. Let's let, don't be stubborn. Look at Jesus. He's glorious. He's gracious. He's loving. He welcomes you. We're going to pull you along here, but we do it together. We're making disciples. Why is there children's ministry down there right now? Well, so there's no kids in here and so we can all listen? No, we're having children's ministry because we're trying to make disciples. The children's ministry teacher is not primarily responsible for making disciples of our little kids, but he or she is contributing to what the Lord is doing, primarily through the parents, but what the Lord is doing to communicate the gospel to the next generation. They're making disciples. It may look like they're coloring pages, but the goal is to make disciples. That's what we're trying to do. Why do we have bridge this week? Trying to make disciples, some new disciples, people who don't know the Lord and tell them the good news. That's what we are seeking to do. What, what, what's the purpose of my marriage? Well, there's a number of things, but one goal of our marriage should be that as a Christian marriage, two believers come together, they're one and they walk together following Jesus. So Together, we're going to, as companions, as intimates, intimates, as close, as best friends, we're going to walk together following the Lord. And if you're lagging, I'm going to help you. If I'm lagging, you're going to help me, and we're going to do this as husband and wife. What's, what's the job? What's the mission statement? Here, we'll go back to the intro as I wrap up. I'm about done. What's the mission statement of parenting, Christian parenting? I think this is it. Make disciples. I don't think the mission statement is make scholars. Make athletes, make artists and musicians, make polite kids, make well-mannered moral kids, make good church kids. I think it's make disciples. It's go, which means we're talking, we're loving, we're serving, we're taking the initiative, we're leading. Go to our kids, tell them about the glory of Jesus, tell them about their sin, our sin, how we need a savior, pointing them to Christ seeing them by God's grace, praying by God's grace to give them new life so that they come to Christ, seeing them at an appropriate time when they know Jesus, be baptized in water in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, and then give ourselves to helping them obey all that he has commanded, making them disciples so that as disciples of Jesus, they express their discipleship in academics. They express their discipleship in athletics or in in music. They express their discipleship in courtesy and manners and loving others. They express their discipleship through serving in the church, in the community of disciples, people personally following Jesus, who are walking with him, with others, together. We're seeking to make disciples who may fulfill a lot of roles, but we're primarily seeking them to pray that they will be those who know Christ and walk with him. And all that other stuff is just an expression. That's how we walk out our faith. That's how we walk out our faith. We don't want straight-A kids who aren't disciples. We don't want all-star athletes who aren't disciples. We don't want amazing piano players or vocalists or guitarists or violin, whatever instrument, that aren't disciples. That's not what we're looking for. We don't want nice church kids. Wow, those kids at the church are so nice. We want those kids follow Jesus. It does happen that they're nice because the love of God's coming through them, but that's not the main thing. Last thing, how do we do all this? There's the promise of the mission. Because this can sound daunting, but look at how he concludes. Verse 20, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Did you know this? I thought about this. I didn't really think about this till this week. Did you know the Great Commission does not end with a command? It ends with a promise. I'm with you always. I love this. It starts with all authority is mine. It's not yours. Jesus says, it's mine. So here's your mission. Here's what you're supposed to do. Make disciples. As you go, as you baptize, as you teach, make disciples of all nations. And at the end, I'm with you always. He's really with us in that middle part too. In the going, in the preaching, we can't convert anybody. We can't mature anybody. 
It's all him. But it's like a grace sandwich. It's here's my authority. It's like, here's my presence. And in the center, here's what you're to do. And I am doing it through you, ultimately. So when we preach or testify, he's with us. When we reach out and befriend someone for the sake of the gospel, he's with us. When we do a kind act to serve someone to demonstrate the love of God and hopefully befriend them, give an opportunity to share the gospel, he is with us. Someone is baptized, he is with us. When we gather and help mature and grow together, he is with us. When we fail and then we get tongue-tied and miss an opportunity to share about the Lord, he's with us. When we fail and we go to the small group and really instead of helping other people mature as disciples, we're just self-focused or we don't go at all or we're just discouraged or we don't have a vision for it or what, whatever or we offend others, whatever it is in community, he is with us. He is with us. When we feel like we're not really growing, teaching them to obey all that I command, when we feel stuck, when we feel discouraged, when we feel immobilized, when we feel like there's no movement in my spiritual life, he is with us to the end of the age, and he will fulfill his purposes. He will build his church. That's, that's what we want to go out with, not what am I doing. We, we want to go out with, he will build this church. Now, Lord, use me to make disciples. That's what I want to be about. Use me. That's what we want to be about. Use us. I think this is the season that we're in as a church. We're in a season to focus, to get a laser focus and say, why in the world are we here? What are we gathering for? What are we about? And I think the two-word answer is we're called by God to make disciples in the power of the Spirit, under the authority of the Word, with the message of the gospel in the context of the local church and partnership with those around us. There's a lot more we could say, but we're to make disciples. And the Lord has, well, he's just dropped this huge opportunity in our lap to relocate our disciple-making ministry. And uh, that's just a tool. That's just a tool. The calling is to follow Jesus with others and to help other people follow Jesus. So we follow Jesus together. We seek to introduce others to the Lord. They're baptized and they follow with us and we join and, and, and do it more. And then we send along the way. We're going to talk about that later. Those who will go to make disciples. I pray that God gives us a renewed understanding of his purposes and a renewed passion for what he is calling us to do and a renewed vision to make disciples for that is our mission as a people. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.